Welcome to Current Situation, your weekly political pulse. I'm your host, Joshua Gale, alongside South Carolina State House Representative Jordan Pace. Every week, our goal is to help you navigate the complex world of politics through biblically conservative perspectives. Before we jump into today's conversation, we want to take a moment to thank our sponsor. At Businesses for Liberty, we proudly promote patriot business owners who are pro-life, pro-liberty, pro-history, pro-Second Amendment, and America first. We believe for such a time as this, we must build a patriot economy. Wouldn't it be great to get behind small business owners who believe in America, support families with the needs that they have? Wouldn't it be amazing to be part of that? Well, you can be. Check us out at businessesforliberty.com where we do that every single day. In today's episode, we're discussing the biblical foundations of self-defense and the defense of others. Jordan, you've had a busy week uh, at the State House. Um, there's uh, something you guys are working on this week that was actually introduced last year. Yep. Uh, it is a hot topic, um, and, uh, not only around the state of South Carolina, but around the nation as well. Um, but you are going to bring us up to speed on what it is, why, you know, your stance, are, and then and then we're going to get biblical with it and 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 look at scripture. So go ahead and tell us what that that topic is, Jordan. Yeah. So uh, for the last <clears throat> for the last decade or so, South Carolina has had various versions of this be attempted, and none of them have been successful. Uh, but the idea, the idea here is something called constitutional carry. Uh, and the House passed a version of this uh, last year, which I was a co-sponsor of and, and voted in favor of. The idea here is that the Second Amendment of the Constitution guarantees. Uh, the right of every individual, every adult, let's put it that way, every adult to uh, bear arms, carry a, a firearm. And there's a lot of debate about what that means. Um, the overwhelming consensus has has been, on, from a judicial perspective, uh, both in modern modern judges and the original founders, if you go with they, read what they wrote, is that that actually means every person has the right to carry a firearm unless they've been... Uh, adjudicated by a fair judicial process, you know, been convicted by a court uh, of a violent crime, or they've been adjudicated by a, a judge to be unfit to, to carry, if they're mentally you know, incapacitated, something like that. Um, so in South Carolina, we have not had constitutional carry. We've had laws against this, restricting the, care, the, the carrying of a firearm, all the way back since before we were a state. And back in the colonial period was the first law uh, passed about this. And it specifically restricted uh, non-whites from carrying guns. And from that point on, all the way through the 70s, really all the way through the 90s, when we first started opening this up a little bit, uh, almost all the laws regarding these, uh, this issue were focused against minority groups. Um, basically those, those in power at the time didn't want to run the risk of people who were there who were not in power having access to firearms. And, uh, so the idea here is constitutional carry says, if you're an adult, if you're legally allowed to buy a firearm, so if you can pass a background check, um, to buy the gun, then you should be able to carry the gun in most circumstances. Uh, you still wouldn't be able to carry it into like a bank or school, uh, places, a courtroom, things like that. Uh, but that's the idea. And 
it's, it's controversial, a lot of pushback. But the reality is we've had several states in the United States that have had this as their law in their state literally since 1776. So Vermont and New Hampshire, uh, both up north, have always had this. Vermont has never had any sort of restrictions on carrying of firearms. And it is one of, if not the most safe state in the country, statistically regarding violent crime. So wow. the, the philosophical idea here is if everyone could be carrying a firearm and you're a criminal looking for a soft target, no one's a soft target. Uh, you, know, you run the risk of if you try to rob somebody in the street, that they may have a firearm and may shoot back. So that's, that's the premise uh, of this as far as crime deterrence. Okay. Now, a couple of dumb questions. So, you know, I've spent a lot of time through the concealed carry. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it was not a, a super easy process and mm-hmm. you had to qualify and all that kind of stuff. Um, great process. But um, is this open carry, concealed carry? What, you know, break this down just a little bit sure. deeper for us into some misconception around what it is, what it isn't. It would be both. And, and the concealed carry license program would still be intact for, so that way, you know, cause we have reciprocity in other States, basically if you have a, a South Carolina concealed carry and, a, and another state requires a license, you can still get the license here, but, uh, it would be both open or concealed either one. Uh, there wouldn't be a training requirement involved though. The training would still be available and, and honestly highly encouraged, uh, Actually, in South Carolina Constitution, our state constitution, Article 3, every male is actually considered part of the unorganized militia, and we have a responsibility to be trained in firearms. A lot of people don't realize that. That is a a responsibility of every male in South Carolina. Uh, So the bill that we're talking about would not require training to carry a firearm uh, because it is a right, uh, according to the Constitution, for you to have that, right? Um, as long as you can legally purchase it, then the same way that you have the right to free speech, you don't. We don't require training, you know, to write an op-ed or to make a speech in public, and both of those could be dangerous things. Uh, so that's that's the the premise of it. Uh, it's good to have training. I highly recommend it. But here's why it shouldn't be necessary. One, the government shouldn't be able to track that. I mean, that's part of the, the idea of the Second Amendment is a well-armed part right. populace uh, gives the government second thoughts about pushing tyrannical things. Uh, oh, and uh, it is a great equalizer as far as physical danger. So you and I are both above uh, average height men, former athletes at some form or fashion in our lives. Uh, if we get in a situation where we need to fight somebody, if someone's attacking us, we can fight back in most situations. If you're a hundred pound girl, uh, and some guy tries to attack you, who's bigger and stronger than you prior to firearms being available and, and accessible to everyone, you're in a bad spot. But if, if, uh, somebody like that, who's dramatically undersized in, in a conflict, whether they being they're being abused or mugged or what have you, if they know the comp, uh, th- if they know that they're going to be in danger, 
without that training requirement, they can go and purchase a firearm to protect themselves uh, and not have that wait, waiting period or have to go get training in order to to protect themselves or their children. Uh, and that's the whole that. idea there. You've just offended the entire CrossFit community um, with that. Yeah last part right there but let all joking aside you know when i went and played college football um thought i was really strong um mm -hmm. i could lift a lot of weight i learned quickly the laws of physics as somebody that's six seven 320 pounds against somebody who's six foot one 280 pounds um i don't care how strong you are yeah um, i learned momentum i learned yep. all sorts of of parts of of uh you know, physics that came into play very quickly as I began to get my butt whooped before mm -hmm. I learned to get a little bit faster and, and, uh, <laughs> all those kind of things. Um, so this is very true. And I didn't say that to say that, you know, people should have training. Most adults would be fearful to carry around something that they hadn't trained on themselves. Yep. Um, and so, and, and I know the folks that, 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 that own the firearms that are saying like, you know, I need to know this thing so that I'm not afraid of this thing. Right. Um, uh, I'm for it. I love what you said about, you know, the men in South Carolina being, you know, part of a, part of a state militia. Um, so, you know, I think that's, you know, something that we do need to, to look at closely here in South Carolina. So where are we at at the state house now? So we passed the, uh, the house version, uh, sent it over to the Senate. And then the Senate, as they are the the deliberative body, as they dub themselves, basically that means they're slow. Uh, they take their time, which is what they're supposed to do. They really took their time on it, and they finally sent it uh, back to us. They're going to be sending it back to us probably this week. And they added several amendments to it that, in my opinion, were not good faith amendments. Uh, the majority leader over there is public was has been publicly against the idea of constitutional carry uh, very openly. And so he and a handful of other uh, Republicans actually put some what I would call poison pill amendments in there. Um, amendments designed to make the bill unpalatable to pass. So one thing was a um, it requires sled the state law enforcement division to uh, provide two trainings per month in every county in the state free of charge uh, to everyone, which that ended up that that as a bill in and of, in and of itself, we could discuss and figure out. Uh, I don't know that I would be in favor of it. Uh, well, I'm just not sure how then. we're going to staff it. If we're right. one of two states out of the entire United States that has one police academy. Correct, and I and I understand SLED as its own department in the state of South Carolina, but you know to have two of those in every county, how mm. are you staffing this? Where are these people coming from? Who's paying for that? Right. Is that an effort to to destroy this bill? Yes, <laughs> I don't know if it was you that told me a while back. Uh, let's go back hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. It was illegal to own a crossbow. Uh, yeah. So. That in a lot of countries in Europe, crossbows were made illegal outside of, unless you had a, a, a license essentially from the ruler uh, because they were a, an equalizer. Uh, in fact, it was one, there's only two weapons that the, the Vatican, the Pope, has like ever publicly condemned in history, and it was, it's the atomic bomb and the crossbow. Uh, so, yeah, it, it, it was kind of the equalizer before the gun came along and made it even more 
easy to defend oneself. But the right. so a couple of the things in the in the bill that they added was um, that are more uh, problematic. It creates a three tier system. So if if uh, someone has a concealed weapons permit, they would be punished less than someone who doesn't. If if someone were to bring a, a, a gun into a place where they're not supposed to bring one. So whether it be a bank, a courthouse, uh, a school, a church, or that, a church that hasn't given permission for them to carry in there, uh, even if property. it was actually, yeah, federal property, um, which they shouldn't do, but creating that delineation between someone who carry someone who has the CDBP versus someone who doesn't, is very questionable whether that's constitutional because the equal protection clause, right. the, you know, the 14th amendment and even weirder, it, they, they added an exemption for legislators. So state reps and state senators and put, it would put us on par with police, uh, who can carry in almost any place, even if the, that, even if somewhere has a sign that says, you know, no concealed carry, uh, legislators would be added to the list along with, uh, solicitors and police officers who could carry in that place anyway. So here's the scenario is if you don't have a concealed weapons permit, you accidentally carry a gun into a store that has a sign that says no concealed weapons and the police show up and I'm in the, I'm in me as a legislator, I'm in the same store with the same gun. The, I wouldn't go to jail. I get my car and go home, but the person with, without a concealed weapons permit or even with it, they couldn't bring it in there. Uh, and the person without the concealed weapons permit would get a higher penalty than the person with the permit. It's very strange. It's very convoluted. And Talk honestly, trust issues, right? It's there to make the bill unpalatable. So the scenario that we've been put in, in the house is we either have to agree with the Senate amendments, disagree with the Senate amendments, or we can change the bill ourselves. If we amend the bill again, if we change the bill at all. It goes back to the Senate and they can filibuster it. Basically, it'll kill it. If we don't, con it's called concurrence. If we don't agree with their amendments and vote against their amendments, it'll go to what's called a conference committee. Three senators, three House members get together and try to hash out the differences. Probably there's a good chance it could get killed there too uh, because the person who's in charge of that conference committee appointing the members to it is the same guy who wrote these amendments who is against the bill, the Republican majority leader. So it's really put us in a very difficult position where we don't want all these bad things, but we do want people to be able to carry, to defend themselves. Uh, so we're going to see how that pans out. I, I don't know how it will pan out uh, in the end, like what the actual vote would be in the house. If we, if the house does if the majority of the house concurs or agrees with the Senate amendments, it would go straight to the governor's desk and he would probably sign it. Uh, and maybe we could figure out, I'll take the bad things out later through different means. Uh, I don't know. We'll see. But as to why this is important from a biblical perspective, uh, Josh, I don't know. You remember the story about when Jesus sends his disciples out two by two? Yep. Yeah. If you don't have a sword, sell a cloak, yeah. get a sword. Yeah, he, he gives them a list of things to carry and not to carry. And, uh, he, yeah, he says, look, if, if you got an extra cloak, if you have an extra coat, sell it and get a sword to, to, to defend yourself. And that's the implication there. And all throughout Scripture, we see 
the charges for the strong to defend the weak. Whether it's King David, uh, uh, Samson, like you see that with the judges, uh, all throughout the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Uh, the, the charge is for the strong to defend the weak, and those with the, the ability to de, uh, bring that defense, that not only they uh, can they do that without uh, being in sin, they have a responsibility to do that. Uh, so the pushback on that is, well, wasn't Jesus a pacifist? Didn't Jesus say, turn the other cheek? Uh well, if we actually go look at what he said, what Jesus said in, in Matthew, uh, Matthew 5, I think it's 5, 38 and 39. He says, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Uh, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other cheek also. So if you're reading that out of context, especially since Jesus there is quoting Old Testament law, you might think, well, if somebody assaults you, you, know, walk, you know, walks up and punches you in the face for no good reason, uh, you're supposed to just turn the other cheek, let him punch the other side. In reality, though, that's not what he's saying. A slap in the face, if a, if a grown man slaps another man in the face, that is a personal insult. He's not trying to like knock him out, beat him up, take him down. He's insulting him. That's, that's a, a personal slight. Right. Keep, keep so, my wife's name out of your mouth. Yeah, yes, that's yeah, exactly. Uh, make, you know, Will Smith and it was a Chris Rock. Yeah, that you know, that's it's not damaging you physically. The guy's not trying to break your jaw. Uh, the idea there is forgive and overlook personal slights, but not personal danger. Uh, there is one caveat I'll put into this, and we'll talk about that in a second. Uh, but when he tells the disciples carry a sword, defend yourselves and defend your, your partner, like defend each other from danger. Uh, we see, uh, the exception to this, if we go, uh, skip ahead to some of Paul's letters in first Corinthians, he's trying to walk the Corinthians through what, what happens if you're, you're in a situation or if you're in a relationship where you're getting uh, abused emotionally, verbally, physically, uh, for being a Christian. You know, if your neighbor just insults you all the time because he's a because you're a Christian, uh, personal slights, uh, those kind of things. Paul says, look, even if your neighbor's like knocking your fence down and says, "Ah, you Christians." He's, you're doing, they're doing that for the sake of the gospel. Uh, I've heard some people try to use th those scriptures, like in First Corinthians, to try to justify, just be pacifist. You know, don't ever respond. Don't, won't try to defend yourself. Uh, that's the, you know, the Mennonites and the Amish and the Anabaptist traditions kind of base themselves on that. Uh, but that's not talking about physical danger. Okay. Uh, yeah, the. Uh, in the Old Testament, in the law, the, uh, the there's a, a law about if someone breaks into your house. So if a thief breaks into your house in the daytime, you can resist him. 
In fact, there is a there's a responsibility to resist the thief, to get them out of your house and away from your family, get the danger away from your family. But you're not supposed to kill them because they're just trying to take your stuff. If there's a threat to your life, so that's in the daytime. If a thief breaks into your house at night, again, according to biblical law in the Old Testament, if a thief broke into your, breaks into your house at night and you resist him and they die, it says you have no, there is no blood guilt on your hands or on your head. Like you are not responsible for them breaking in at night because Again, this is before electricity, before we had lights. Mm-hmm. The implication there is if somebody's breaking your house at night, they're coming to get you and coming to get your family. So resist them even to the point where the, if, if they die, their guilt, the blood is on their uh, head. Like it's, it's their responsibility, not yours. So that's kind of the general equity in the Old Testament that carries right on through, uh, through the New Testament. So Jordan, understanding all that, your perspective, you know, what's in the word of God, what's going to happen this week, uh, at the state house. So either this week or next week, the house will have to vote on whether or not to agree with the Senate amendments or, or, or not. Um, if we, uh, my, my hope is, is that we don't agree with the amendments, uh, and that we vote not, not to concur. If some if folks want to call their their house member and and uh, share their feelings with them, uh, well, what they want to do, I'd say vote to not concur, uh, unless we can get some changes to the bill. Uh, if we can successfully amend the bill to get those bad things out, with a fairly certain guarantee from the Senate they won't filibuster it, uh, then we might be able to to make that work. If, um, if not, then uh, from my reading the bill, the bad outweighs the good and, uh, we should try to non-concur, send it back to the Senate is what that would do and wait for the Senate to, uh, create what's called the conference committee to try to work out the differences between our version and their version. And whatever the conference committee puts out, we'll take a look at that and, and go from there. Uh, so this doesn't have to be the end of, of the issue. The hope is that if we sent, kick it back to the Senate, uh, it will continue this legislative process and hopefully make the bill better than what the Senate sent us. Essentially what that says to the Senate is we don't like the, what you did to our bill. Let's put a committee together to try to figure out how we can bridge the gap. Uh, so that's my hope is that we'll be able to send it to that committee, bridge the gap, get something better than what the Senate sent to us, uh, and then go from there and get it signed into law. So if you were going to... we got two folks that we can call. We can call our House state representative. Hmm. We can call our state senator. Yep. Do phone calls work? Uh, they absolutely work. Phone calls, uh, emails are not as good as phone calls, but they do have an effect. Uh, if you have a personal relationship with your House member or your Senate member, send them a message. You know, whether it's on social media or if you have their phone number, uh, send them a message, give them a call. We pay, I mean, I pay attention to it. I can't guarantee that every House and Senate member will pay attention to it. Uh, but from the conversations I've had with folks in the last 24 hours, they're paying attention 
to the communications that they're receiving about this issue? You know, Jordan, every time there's a devastating event in this country, uh, there is a call for complete gun control. Um, and uh, it's a play on emotions while emotions are high and people are devastated. Uh, it's a use of the, the media. Um, and um, why does a, a complete call, you know, to, to ban, you know, gun, you know, to control firearms, um, why does it not work? So we actually have a lot of evidence now uh, from the last 50 years of places that have enacted very, very strict control on on firearms and ammunition, places like Chicago, New York City, um, uh, New Orleans, St. Louis, Detroit. Notice the Washington, D.C. These are all places that have extremely high crime and the, the violent crime rates have actually increased dramatically after they've put in place very strict controls. Um, even in somewhere like England, uh, back about 30 years ago, the U.K. effectively banned personal ownership and carrying of, of firearms. They've actually seen an increase in the last 10 years. And keep in mind, this is an island, so they can actually do it. Uh, in theory, like cut off the supply more than, better than we can. And they've seen an increase in violent crime. It's just rather than guns, there are fatal stabbings, acid attacks, bludgeoning with clubs. And we're, basically it puts us back in the position that we were 300 years ago, where if you're physically smaller, you can't defend yourself as well. Um, so there is no that I've seen any statistical evidence to back that up where restricting gun ownership, uh, responsible gun ownership, especially, uh, helps in those situations. Cause if you look at most of these shootings, uh, whether they be school shootings or church, I remember the one in Texas from a few years ago, mm. most of the time it's a good guy. It's kind of a trite saying, but it's, it's a good guy with a gun that stops the bad guy with the gun. And we have right. more than 300 million firearms that we know about in the United States. That's more than the number of people in the United States. Uh, wow. And that's only firearms that we have serial numbers for. So from the 60s on forward, there's no way to collect those all. Uh, it's just physically impossible. Uh, so that's why that wouldn't work. It is both practically uh, and morally I would say reprehensible and outside of the biblical uh, worldview that says you should be able to defend yourself and your family. Absolutely. Well, Jordan, thank you for sharing all of that with us. Um, if you're listening, you know, phone calls do work and all of the contact information for your state representatives can be found in the app that we've mentioned several times is the South Carolina state legislation app um, available in all the app stores has all the information you want to know, has information about what's going on in the state house, contact information, things like that. Make your voice heard. Um, these are some, some really important things um, that we want to get passed here in the state of South Carolina. We want to make sure our voices are heard. Um, so you've heard, you've heard it here on the Current Situation podcast. Um, Jordan, thank you for your time tonight. Mm -hmm. And uh, we look forward to speaking with you all next week on what's going on here in the state of South Carolina.